few years ago, after an Easter service that I was a part of, a woman came up to me for prayer. And she told me a story about how she'd been involved with drugs and was feeling guilty about that. So I talked with her about Jesus and forgiveness. And when I was all done, I said, I know I've given you a lot to think about, so perhaps you'd like to go home and pray over it, think about it, and we can talk again later this week. But she just stood there. She didn't say anything. She just stood there. So I said, I, I know I've given you a lot of information, and you, you probably want to think about it, so go ahead, go on home and give me a call, and we'll, we'll talk some more. Go ahead, go. Go, 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 go. <laughs> but she just stood there, didn't say anything. And finally, it occurred to me what she wanted, and I said, you don't, you don't want to become a Christian, do you? She said, why do you think I'm standing here, pastor? So I, I, I led her to Christ. My tentativeness in talking to her about Jesus, even when she wanted me to, I think is indicative of how many of us feel about evangelism. Even just that word can conjure up all kinds of feelings of dread. Evangelism. Conjures up images of shovey, pushy people or angry preachers yelling at somebody or heated arguments about religion. And for those of us who are Christians, it can conjure up feelings of guilt or fear. Thoughts like, I know I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, but I don't want to. I'm afraid. What if they think I'm a fool? What if they ask questions I can't answer? I don't want to shove something at someone. I don't want to come off as a kind of a used car salesman for Jesus. Sorry if you're a used car salesman. Evangelism has become a negative word in our culture, but it shouldn't be. In Greek, it simply means good news. Evangelism is simply telling people good news. And that's what I like about Philip in the story that we just read. He's not pushy. He's not obnoxious. He just shares some good news. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading a passage of scripture, and Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I? unless someone guides me. And the Greek word he uses there is, is, is actually pretty interesting. It's hodogese, which is like the word exegesis. It kind of shares the same root as the word exegesis in English, which means to explain something, except with the prefix hodos, which means road or way or path. In other words, how can I understand unless someone goes on the journey with me, on the road with me? The difference between being a good evangelist and an obnoxious person is the difference between exegesis and hodogesis. It's not explaining something. It's going on a journey with someone. And that's what Philip does in this story. He gets in the carriage, goes on a journey, and helps the Ethiopian discover the good news of who Jesus is. And that's the picture of evangelism I want to leave you with. Whatever pictures you came here with of evangelism, replace it with the image of Philip getting in the carriage. It's not about arguing with somebody. It's not pressuring anybody into the kingdom. That never works. Evangelism is simply a relationship in which we get into the carriage of people's lives and go on a journey with them and help them discover the good news of who Jesus is. And boy, is that desperately needed in our culture. 
The Ethiopian is like a lot of people that you and I meet every day. He's asking a lot of religious questions. Questions like, how can I be a better person? Does my life matter? How can I feel loved or worthy? Why am I here? The Ethiopian is asking all of those questions and he's gone to great lengths to get answers. He's traveled a thousand miles to the temple in Jerusalem. But because he was a eunuch, he would have been considered unclean and excluded from the temple. Therefore, he doesn't have any answers for his questions. So now he's alienated from God, excluded from community, and confused about religion. That describes a lot of people that you and I know. It's the neighbor who's lonely, the co-worker who's not satisfied with their life, the, the person at the soccer field who's feeling guilty about something, the clerk at the store that you talk to who has a low self-esteem. All of those people are asking religious questions. And they're going to some kind of temple for answers. Maybe it's their, their job or success or wealth or a substance they're abusing or a philosophy that they're dabbling in. But those things aren't working for them any more than the temple in Jerusalem worked for the Ethiopian. When I was doing my graduate work at Stanford, my advisor was a total atheist, the last person in the world I ever thought would be interested in Jesus. But then his mother died, and he was feeling alone and facing his own mortality. And so one day we were going over my dissertation, and just right in the middle of it, he looked up and he said, how do you find spiritual connection? I was kind of shocked. It wasn't in my dissertation or anything. And after I got over the shock, it, it, it opened up a great conversation about God. You see, evangelism isn't getting in people's faces and answering questions that they're not asking. Evangelism is simply going on a journey with people, being in a relationship with them, and helping them discover Jesus out of the stuff of their lives. And we do that in a couple of ways. The first is this. To be a good evangelist, as opposed to a, an obnoxious person, we go out of our way to build authentic relationships with people. Philip here has to go out of his way to be in a relationship with this man. If you look back in the passage a few verses earlier, you'll notice Philip has this successful ministry going on in Samaria. And he's preaching to hundreds of people. So it really doesn't make much sense to leave those masses in Samaria for this one person. Not only that, but God tells him to go south, away from all civilization, on a desert road, at noon, when it's hot. Who is going to be on a desert road at noon when it's hot? Seems ridiculous. It's, it's out of his way. It'll interfere with his successful ministry back in Samaria. But you see, God doesn't just care about the masses back in Samaria. God cares about the individual as well. And so Philip goes. And he doesn't just go to talk with the guy. He actually gets in the carriage with this guy and goes on the journey with him. You know, Philip doesn't say, you know, it is really inconvenient for me to be here right now and I really can't go to Ethiopia with you. So if you want to know about Jesus, you've got 20 minutes. Go. <laughs> oh, he gets in the carriage. He goes on the journey. The difference between being a good evangelist and an obnoxious one is that good evangelists go out of their way to build relationships with people so that when the big questions come up, we are there to answer them in an authentic way. And yeah, we're busy. We've got careers, we've got kids, we've got grandkids, we've got all kinds of stuff. In fact, I think that's why people resort to arguing. It's easier, right? It's easier just to have an argument about religion and then leave. But real evangelism means getting in the carriage of people's lives and going on the journey with them. 
The second thing good evangelists do is they help people discover Jesus out of the stuff of their lives. This man is reading Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy about Jesus. And in that prophecy, Jesus is described as alone and having no descendants. Now that's probably something this man can relate to. Because as a eunuch, he had no hope of descendants, and he would have felt very alone. And that, that's the pain in this guy's life. And what Philip does is to show him that Jesus understands that pain. That's what it means that God became human. He understands everything we go through because he went through it too. You notice, Philip doesn't give him some abstract, philosophical, theological argument. You know, may I tell you about the unmoved mover for a moment? No! Philip doesn't do that. He takes the stuff of this man's life and says, let me show you how Jesus speaks to this. Let me show you how Jesus understands this. Let me show you how Jesus has an answer to this. Evangelists help people find Jesus out of the stuff of their own lives. And the third thing evangelists do, they ask questions and tell stories. Ask questions and tell stories. You know, all Jesus ever did was ask questions and tell stories, and ever since, the church has been giving answers and making up dogma. There's a problem. We have a disconnect. Ask questions, tell stories. What are you looking for? Do you feel loved? What are your goals? How are you handling your stress? Can I tell you a story about how knowing Jesus has helped me? Ask questions, tell stories, and then leave the rest up to God because we do not bring anyone to Jesus. Only God does that. The only thing Jesus asks us to do, he, says, he tells us to be his witnesses. Just think of a court of law. What does a witness do in a court of law? Here's what I saw. Here's what happened. Ask questions, tell stories, leave the rest up to God. All around us, are people who, who are feeling alone, they're in some kind of pain, they're stressed out about work, relationships, finances. The east side is like a duck pond. You know, everyone's sort of gliding along on the surface looking all calm and duck-like, but underneath paddling madly, right? Help, help, I'm sinking! And what we've got is such good news about a God who in Jesus became human so he knows everything we go through. He feels every hurt that we hurt. He understands us. He is absolutely, passionately in love with us. And people are just dying to hear that good news. If evangelism is hard for you, it's probably because the news you're bringing isn't good. You're bringing a message of condemnation, an ideology you're trying to convince people of, an opinion you want them to share, rather than a friend that you want them to know. My wife and I were good friends with the woman who cut our hair in California. She, in fact, she cut my hair for 10 years and had seen it in its various stages of receding, which creates a bond between people. And one of the things I really liked about her was that she didn't change who she was just because I was a pastor. She was irreverent. She was not a Christian, swore like a sailor. In, in fact, in fact as, a, as a student of language, I was always amazed at what she could do with words. I'd be like, wow, you use that as an adjective. I didn't know. How creative. Well, when her first child was born, she started asking a lot of questions. And she said, I don't want to do to my kids what my parents did to me, which was to say, yeah, there's some kind of God out there. Now go do what you want. She said, if there's a God out there, I want to know who he is and what he wants. 
Well, Christine and I didn't start preaching at her. We, we asked some questions. We told some stories about how Christ had affected our life. And then one day she was cutting my hair and she was kind of going on and on about how much she hated hypocritical church people. She said, they're rude, they're mean, they pretend to be perfect, they're just hypocrites and I don't like them. Well, when she stopped, I said, you know what, I, I have a confession to make. I am one of those hypocritical church people. I am not a good person. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I do what I'm not supposed to do. I have all kinds of faults and failures and sins and weaknesses. And all of that makes me feel unworthy of anybody's love, let alone God's. In fact, I don't even want God to let me into heaven the way I am because in order to do that, he would have to lower the bar so low. What does that say about all the other people who got in? Right? And if heaven is full of a bunch of people like me, that's not heaven. I don't want to be there. And I said, that's why I follow Jesus. Because he took the punishment I know I deserve. And he cleans me up and he makes me whole and he makes me fit for heaven. And I can't do that on my own, so I need him. That's why I'm a Christian. Not because I'm good, but because I'm bad. Well, she stopped cutting my hair and she pulled up a chair and sat down right in front of me and she said, now that doesn't make me want to throw up. <laughs> I thought that was a good start. We're moving along. Now, in that moment, she didn't say, you know, she didn't take her little water bottle and say, look, what's to prevent me from being baptized, right? She didn't become a Christian right then and there. But about a year later, she made Jesus the leader of her life and the forgiver of her sins. And when she did that, she asked me to baptize her, and it was a privilege to do it. That's evangelism. We didn't shout at her. We didn't argue with her. We just got in the carriage of her life. We kept going to her to cut our hair, even though other people were cheaper and closer. And Christina and I built a relationship with her, asked questions, told stories, and then out of the stuff of her own life, she began to discover Jesus. Now, before that conversation, the very word evangelism made me cringe with discomfort. But after that conversation, I realized that evangelism is actually pretty fun. Because all it is is just helping people see Jesus out of the stuff of their own lives. It's also the number one job of the church. This is the tenth sermon I have preached this fall on what the church is supposed to be. And I saved this one for last because it's number one on the top ten list. Kind of David Letterman moment here. Number one on the top ten list of what the church is supposed to do, go make disciples. It is the last thing Jesus said to us before he left. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. In fact, Jesus really only gave us two commandments. Gave us only two things to do. Love each other. And go make disciples. It was a short list. I think he wants us to keep it. That's why I love Bridget's testimony. We send a little flyer about, about an athletic event here, and she discovers Christ out of the stuff of her own life. The psalmist says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And that is all evangelism is. Bringing some good news to people who desperately need to hear it about a God who cannot let us go, about a God who is crazy in love with us, who died for us, and who invited us to an eternal party and doesn't want anyone to miss that party with him. But to paraphrase the Ethiopian's question, how will they know? How will they know? How will they know? 
unless someone guides them. So who are the people in your life? What are the questions they're asking? And what are the stories you can tell about the God who has met you in Jesus Christ? Whose carriage can you get into and journey with them and help them discover Jesus? And when you do that, you will have very lovely feet. Lord, thank you that you invite us to build your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to do that. Help us to ask questions and tell stories and journey with people so that they can know you. Lord, we pray that you would give us a thousand tongues to sing, proclaim, shout, and tell stories of your redemption and publish glad tidings abroad. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.